This is Anthony Arino, and you're listening to In the Arena. Have you ever had a salesperson or a sales organization give you the awesome gift of a coffee mug with their logo on it? Or maybe you are a salesperson and you work for a sales organization and you provide your prospective clients or your dream clients with a coffee mug with your logo on it. I just met Andrew, the CEO of PFL at the Sales 2.0 conference in San Francisco, California, put on by my good friend Gerhard Schwantner, the CEO and publisher of Selling Power magazine. And Andrew took the time to show me a new app called Swag IQ. And Swag IQ is integrated into your salesforce.com and it's integrated into your existing sales workflows. And what Swag IQ does is it allows you as a salesperson to trigger a gift based on a prospect's behavior. That means when they move into a different stage of the sales cycle, you can go ahead and send something when they get there. So as a salesperson or a sales leader, you never have to worry about picking the gift, packing the box, and the entire fulfillment process happens offsite. And all you have to do is click the button or let it trigger automatically. But Swag IQ is interesting because it goes a lot further than just fulfillment. It bridges the gap between digital and physical by alerting the salesperson within minutes of the gift being delivered. And you can send one gift to a particular prospect if that contact is important to you, or you can schedule what's called a swag bomb to hit the entire team at your target account. And then if you're in major account sales and you're working on what I would call a dream client, everybody gets something all at the same time. Swag IQ tracks the engagement rate for you, it tracks the response rates, and it tracks the effectiveness so you know which gifts are working and where they're working. Swag IQ clients are seeing great results with one area that I think is super important to note here. It's opening doors. And that, in my opinion, is the most difficult thing we do in sales now is opening relationships. It's most difficult to get that first appointment. And Swag IQ could be something that helps you do that. So check them out at swagiq.com and see how you can begin using intelligent gifting solutions that integrate into your Salesforce app. About six or seven years ago, I was a member of a Toastmasters club called Midday Toastmasters, and a tall, handsome kid with a cast on his wrist showed up, and he introduced himself as Lewis Howes, and he had a story to tell about sleeping on his sister's couch and not being able to play football anymore because he had an injury and wanting to become a professional speaker, among other things. And I watched Lewis transform from his first speech to his 10th speech, and he has since become a very powerful force in the world of self-improvement and lifestyle entrepreneurship. You can find him at lewishouse.com. Lewis has a podcast called The School of Greatness. It's extremely popular, and he has guests that are the envy of every podcast host, yours truly included. He also has a New York Times bestselling book of the same name, The School of Greatness. And I invited Lewis here in the arena to talk about a couple things. One, I want him to talk about greatness and success and what that means. 
And the second thing I wanted him to talk about was the Summit of Greatness coming up this September 29th, 2016 here in Columbus, Ohio. This is my good friend and buddy from Toastmasters. Both of us are now on the circuit speaking publicly because of that organization in part. Lewis Howes in the arena. Lewis Howes, how are you, my brother? Doing great, man. How are you? Always good to see you. And I'm looking at you. No one else can. This is an audio (laughs) deal. So tell me about where we were when we met and what we were doing. We were in Columbus, Ohio, midday Toastmasters, probably 10, 15 people in the room. I don't know if you remember me when I had my cast on. I don't know if you were there that early. I came there 23, 24 years old, looking for mentorship, looking for ideas, looking to overcome my fear of public speaking because I was terrified of it. And I had a vision. I was sleeping on my sister's couch at the time. And if I wanted to make an income, if I wanted to make an impact and build anything of meaning, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew if I wanted to build anything of meaning that I needed to learn how to communicate in front of an audience and be able to get my message out there clearly for people to want to take action on my message. I met a guy actually at a salsa club because I was salsa dancing, trying to overcome that fear of being a horrible dancer at the same time. I was at a salsa club and a guy told me that he was a public speaker and made a full-time living. And I remember being like, dude, I want to learn more about this. And I I sat down with him for like coffee at Barnes and Noble at Easton, Columbus, Ohio. And he said, you got to join Toastmasters if you want to learn how to speak, if you want to learn how to move people with your message. And so I, for the next week, I went to five different Toastmasters in Columbus. Every day I went to one to see which one was going to be the most challenging for me. And then midday Toastmasters, I was blown away by all the speakers. So I showed up there and every week showed up and just tried to give my best. And for a year, I finished 10 speeches in a year. But I was always impressed with your ability to speak with such ease. I was just like, how is this guy doing this? It was unbelievable. No notes, no cars, no props. You just wowed us with a seven-minute speech every time you went up there. And I was just like, this guy has information for days. That's how we connected. What's funny is I remember I might have been the one that gave you the evaluation on a speech that I would have considered your breakout speech. Uh-huh. And I remember you came in and for some reason you were just on fire, man. And, and <laughs> you were, my last speech <laughs> and you were passionate and you were yeah. energetic and you were almost jumping out of your skin. And I was like, yes, he's, I mean, he's totally here. And I was just like, this is what this thing is about. That's transformation yeah. from coming in afraid. It and then is. 10 speeches later, you're like, this dude's master and commander now. He's got, right? you're smiling, you know, I'm like, this is a big, it's handsome amazing. dude. And he's got energy and it was working great. So I it's amazing. Yeah. That. I think you guys gave me like a standing ovation, like my last speech or my 10th speech. And I was like, this is unreal. You know how far I've come. So it was a great experience. It was true. Let's talk about your podcast for a minute. So this is a yeah. podcast talking about a podcast now. What do you do on the podcast, School of Greatness? And tell me that and how you came up with the title. I interview some, in my mind, some of the most inspiring people in the world from all different industries. doesn't matter which topic or industry. It's just for me, they're doing something that's disruptive or that's innovative or that's changing their area of the world. So I do these interviews and I bring on people that have a gift in my mind, have some type of gift that they can share with the world. The reason I started it was I moved to LA about four years ago for a girl that I was in a relationship with. And it went downhill pretty quickly. And I remember just kind of being in like a funk. You know, when you go through a breakup, you're just kind of like in a funk and you don't really know 
who you are sometimes you don't have your groove back so i was just in a funk i was selling a company that i had and it was just in a transition in a lot of areas of my life and i remember being stuck in traffic one day just kind of like frustrated i was just frustrated that i wasn't figuring it out i wasn't figuring out what i was supposed to be doing next and i remember saying well what i really like to do is connect with inspiring influencers this is what i did early on in my linkedin days for those that don't know about me i wrote a book about linkedin and that's kind of how i got started was teaching people about linkedin but in that process I found people like yourself that were just like in the local community in Columbus where I would just interview and ask questions about how they got to where they are, how they became great in their business, how they did whatever they're doing. Athletes, business professionals, doctors, scientists, everyone. I was fascinated with the science and art of achievement and success and reaching the next level. So I said, you know what? This podcasting thing was picking up a little bit back in 2012. There were people that I knew in the online marketing world who were launching it and being very successful. John Lee Dumas, Pat Flynn, Derek Halpern, they all had podcasts. And I would ask them all questions, You know, how is this going for you? They said it was the most rewarding thing they were doing in their business. They said it was converting the best for potential leads into sales for them for their products and services. It was also the most engaged audience they had was their podcast audience. And I thought, you know, if these guys could do it, I could probably figure this out as well. I think I've got some good relationships and a good angle that I could take it, having a sports background. I remember talking to a friend on the phone, my buddy, James Wedmore, saying, I think I want to do a podcast, but I'm trying to figure out the name. And both of us speak into, we coach other people in being very specific and niche oriented, you know, as opposed to being the social media expert, be the expert on LinkedIn, right? Focus on a niche. It's kind of what I've been preaching for many years. But for whatever reason, I was like, I don't want to do the online business show or the online marketing show or you know the Lewis House show. I didn't want it to be about me. I was like, I want to do something broader, something bigger, something more expansive. And maybe that's a mistake because it's not a specific niche where I can make a lot of money and want to be the expert in one thing. But I was just like, I don't know. I just feel like I want to do this thing where it's, it's bigger than me. And I don't want to call my name or whatever. So I said, it was really hard for me to succeed in school, but I love learning and I love growth. And I wish they would have taught these principles that I've always wanted to learn in school. So let's call it the school of greatness. And it's kind of how it came about. It's a great title. And I would say it's a niche. I think that the it's kind of a, a broad niche, but it's success-minded, success-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it covers all areas of success, which I want to get into because- yes. A lot of people see it in such a narrow way, like uh, money or things, or if I have this or when I have this title. And when you say school of greatness, I want to ask you about this. We'll get to greatness in a minute, but let's just stick with the podcast for just a minute before we get there. You've done some big interviews, man. I mean, you've had some really big interviews. Give me your top two or three favorite, and then tell me the one that you were like, oh man, I'm going to have to stretch for this one because I'm (laughs) way out of my league. Well, my first one with I've interviewed Tony Robbins twice. And the first time I remember when I landed it, it took like three months to land it back and forth with his team. We had it scheduled and then he had to cancel. Like I'd booked a flight already. Then he was like, sorry, I'm going to India for like a week. So we have to cancel this. So it took like some some time to make the first one happen. I remember that being like someone I wanted to interview early on. And I read his whole book. There was no other book that I read cover to cover from the authors that I had on, but I was like, I need to be as prepared as possible. I spent about four to six weeks preparing, watching every video, every interview he'd ever done. And I remember Tony just kind of always said the same thing in every interview that I was watching. I was like, he's never really getting vulnerable or getting like super off script. 
I want to get him off without feeling like he's being attacked or something's happening. I think preparing for that, when I met him in person, his energy is so larger than life that I was just kind of like, oh, shoot, you know, this has been like a dream for a long time and it's happening. Play it cool, you know, don't be, <laughs> don't mess it up. And it took me a couple of minutes to kind of like get in the flow. And, and I remember interviewing him. I was just like, you know what? I just need to acknowledge it right off the beginning. I was just like, you know what? You were a big inspiration for me when I was 16. I didn't meet you, but I went to one of your events and you walked next to me and said something to the audience. And I can't remember what you said, but the energy you put out there made me realize that's the energy I want to have in my life. Yeah. And I want to make this impact on people the way you make it in my own way. So I kind of just shared with him and you know, told him I was a big fan and then was able to get into it. But it was an incredible experience. I mean, he gave me an hour of his time. It was just, he went above and beyond and he really went off his script, which for me yeah. was rewarding. So many people said, I've been listening to Tony for 10, 20 years, watched every interview and he's never opened up in that way. So it was rewarding for me to know that it paid off. And the funny thing is I'm actually interviewing Larry King in a couple hours today. And I'm a little intimidated, to be honest. I'm like, this Kat, is the interview. This is Cat knows how to interview. Yeah. Guy knows how to interview, but yeah. I've met him a couple of times already. So I feel like I'll be okay. It's just, this guy's the man. He sat in front of every major president, leader, Hell yeah, celebrity, like anyone who's anyone he is interviewed and it'll be a great honor. Give me two more of your top interviews. Scooter Braun was someone that I was really loved interviewing. He is a guy that went from like a 19, 20 year old in college promoting nightclubs and had a vision. He wanted to be like the biggest manager in the world. He wanted to make himself one of the biggest behind the scenes celebrities in the world. And he has done that. You know, he found Justin Bieber. He managed Ariana Grande, managed a lot of great people to the point where he is, uh, you know, just made an incredible name for himself, has the biggest network in the world, it seems like. And just a smart guy to see what he created in like a seven, eight year window. And he's only 33, 34 years old. And he's just taken over. He's like the most really? powerful man in music. Yeah. Just really powerful. So, One more. and then I would say, I would say, uh, Alanis Morissette was actually really cool. You know, she's sold 50 million records or something. She's a, an icon in, in the singing world. And her grace was really inspiring for me. Her love, her like intimacy, her connection. She was so present with me. And this is, you know, just some, a big singer, songwriter, celebrity who was really grounded and loving and incredibly human. I did this backstage thing with Alice Cooper. I took my son and Alice Cooper was the most gracious, grateful, focused person <laughs> on the person sitting in front of him. I had to write a blog post about it. It's on his site now on alicecooper.com. They actually took my blog and reprinted it because he is, wow. was such a lesson in leadership to see somebody with so much grace and class. You know, and he's this character on stage and then off stage, the most delightful, focused human that's being cool. you've ever met. He makes everybody in the room feel like they're the only person in the room. That's cool. Yeah, that's that kind of feeling. The one I'm jealous of for you right now is Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, I mean, she was amazing. I'd say she's one of the top five also. She was incredible. She took about a year for me to get her on too, but man, she was very present, very loving, just like her an book, old friend. Book is magnificent too. New book. Yeah. 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 Magic. That should be on everyone's reading list. Okay, yep. so let's talk about greatness. In my view, success and greatness are maybe two different ideas. So talk about what greatness is. Yeah, I think success is, in my definition, success is more of like a, a result you create, a mark. I think greatness is more of a feeling and a fulfillment, in my opinion. So greatness for me means discovering and living 
our our gifts and our dreams, the things that we love to do, figuring out what those things are, and then living them. And in the pursuit of living those dreams, make a full-time income and impact the maximum people around us. I believe it doesn't need to be changing the world, but I think it should be our goal to impact the maximum number of people around us while pursuing our dreams and making a full-time income in that process. I think that's greatness. When we can be sustainable financially, doesn't mean we have to make billions, but sustainable financially, living our dreams or pursuing it, and then impacting others. I think that's a pretty incredible life. I think that's a great life. And for some people, that may be being an incredible family person, a mother, father, taking care of their kids at first, and then impacting their their family and their inner circle. For others, it could be you know changing the world in whatever the way they want to do that. Yeah, that's what it is for me. It's not about achievement. It's not about money. It's about impact and pursuing what it is that makes us the most alive. I've seen that on your Facebook. Because we're connected on Facebook, I've seen some young kids who were sort of lost who get onto the podcast on School mm-hmm. of Greatness, and they send you a note like, I found something here, and you're making an impact. And I think that's overlooked when we think about success and greatness, contribution. And if it's one kid who goes on because he read some story that gave him some ability to frame yeah. up his own thing, you know, and yeah. now he's in a different spot. Give me a couple of examples of people who you believe demonstrate greatness. I think Liz Gilbert demonstrates greatness. She's incredible. You know, she was struggling in her life. She was in a marriage that she was unhappy with, job that she was unhappy with. And she realized that wasn't her dream. So she had the courage to alter the course of her life to pursue and figure out what is my dream? What is my gift? Let me go pursue this. So she went on a journey for a year or whatever it was. And that's where Eat, Pray, Love came from. In her pursuit of her dream, she found the man of her dreams. She found fulfillment. She found flow in her life. And she created a piece of work that sold 10 million copies. That it was a major motion movie because of the impact that it had on her pursuing her dreams. And having the courage to say, you know what, I'm not going to do the easy thing, which is stay comfortable, stay in this job, stay in this marriage that isn't working for anyone in the situation. I'm going to do the uncomfortable thing, which is figure out what it is that I'm born to do, that I'm supposed to do right now in this season of my life. And I think that's a great example of greatness, in my opinion. With a book that had almost zero odds of selling 10 million copies. Yeah, exactly. It's an amazing story. Let's talk about your New York Times bestselling book, The School of Mm -hmm. Greatness. Not original enough to come up with another title, huh? (laughs) That's a great, great title. And you and I had a conversation offline, so I know it had another title, but you you ended up getting going another way. Yes. In in the book, I want to start with one area, and you and I think have both shared this, but I want to start with adversity. And I've got kids. Mm -hmm. I got an 18-year-old son getting ready to go to college. I've got twin 16-year-old daughters. And I tell them that in their life, the greatest adversity that they have is that they've had no adversity. That's the challenge. They haven't been challenged enough. You describe in the book, The School of Greatness, you you describe adversity as an advantage. So how does adversity help us? I think it can either move us forward or hold us back. And we get to choose how we view it. For years, adversity did both of those for me. I had a lot of internal adversity, a lot of internal struggle, a lot of insecurities, doubt, self-worth conversations, lack of confidence, all these things, pain and suffering that I continue to choose to have. In a lot of ways, that adversity drove me to be a better man, to be a better athlete, to learn, to master skills. It drove me and it pushed me forward 
in that way to be the best that I could be, to be the most competitive athlete, to be the most competitive human that I could be. And I would say that helped me in a huge advantage because I had that pain and adversity. Now, I'd also say that in some ways it crippled me in relationships and other areas of my life where I wasn't able to fully communicate or I was defensive or guarded or angry or resentful in situations. And so it crippled me in certain situations because I didn't have the skills or the tools to move forward emotionally. So I think in a lot of ways it can help us and it can hurt us if we know how to use it. And that's the key, knowing how to use adversity and realizing that this is a great gift for us and not something that we need to be victim to and have hold us back. As an athlete, what was some adversity? I mean, I think when you're you're a tall guy, you're a gifted athlete, you still compete now on the United States handball team, right? Yep, so you, yep. you are a competitive athlete and still at a very elite level, even though it may not have been the level that you dreamed of when you were a kid, but it's at a very, right. very high level yes. and super competitive. Do you get, I mean, is some of the adversity, like not not having the adversity, you get coddled through school you get more coddled because you have this gift. And so people are protecting mm-hmm. you and making sure that don't stretch him over here in these areas because we need him here in this other area. Mm. I mean, did I get coddled or do you think? Was, did you? Did you get coddled? I, I didn't get coddled. I mean, I was, you know, I felt like I was neglected a lot. That was my story conversation. Okay. Whether I was or wasn't, that's, that's what I felt like. Sure. And I felt neglected with my, my family. You know, I was the youngest of four. My parents were going through challenges and they eventually got divorced. And I was in the bottom of my class. You know, it was really hard for me to read and write all through the end of high school. So I was always in the special needs classes, but I wouldn't consider that coddling. I would consider it humiliating yeah. uh, for, for me as a guy that just wanted to fit in and just wanted to be you know normal like the rest of the kids. So I think I lacked connection, intimacy, and love when I was a kid. And that's where my pain came from. That's where like my drive came from because I felt like I was made fun of, picked on. I just remember feeling like I never want to feel this way ever again the rest of my life. Like I never want people to pick on me or not accept me. Like I didn't have friends. I remember I had to, this was probably one of the most humiliating things that I don't think I've ever told anyone except for my family. I was like, you know, when we were kids, we have like secret clubs or like special clubs and like whatever. And there was these two kids who had started this club. I remember I was like six or seven years old. They started this club in like their basement. It was like whatever, there's something kids club or something, right? And they would hang out and meet up and go on adventures or whatever they would do. And I remember them saying, hey, do you want to join our club? Like I wanted to join the club. And I was like, yeah, let's because I wanted to have friends. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so they said, okay, there's two ways to join the club. You either, there's two questions we'll ask you. And I'm like vividly remembering this right now. There's two questions we'll ask you. And if you get one of them right, you're in the club. If you don't, then you have to pay to get in the club. I can't remember what it was, five or 10 bucks or something. It was like, we were like six or seven. And so I was like, okay, what are the questions? And one of the questions was like, name one of the astronauts who landed on the moon. And I had no freaking clue the answer. I like knew nothing. I can't remember the other question they asked me, but that was one of them. I didn't know. They asked me another question. I didn't know. So I was like, okay, you have to pay us. And I remember being like, man, I feel so stupid and ignorant that I don't know these things, but I just want to have friends, you know? And so I went home to my mom and like cried and she gave me the five or 10 bucks or whatever it was. And I came back with like a box of change and gave it to these kids so I could be in their club. And I remember just feeling like, I don't even think I hung out with them after that, but I just remember feeling like, so I don't know, miserable and like stupid and unworthy 
and all I wanted was friends around. So the club, the club was designed to exclude you. Exactly. Yeah. It was designed to like make me feel bad essentially. Yeah. Essentially. And then to, so they, they have a little bit of power and they can feel exactly got something. Yeah. Terrible at that age. That's a young age. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then there was another moment I remember where I was third or fourth grade where we had a a dodgeball class dodgeball game and the teacher picked like two of the boys to be the captains and two guys were probably like more of the popular kids in school in the class. And I remember they picked, you know, one at a time, they picked one player at a time for each team and they went through all the guys, all the boys first. And then they went through all the girls one at a time. And I was the last man standing. And I remember feeling like so humiliated, like, how am I not even picked before the girls? You know what I mean? As a third or fourth grader. And I remember this sense of like this switch turned on in my mind where I was like, okay, I'm never going to feel this pain again. This, this sense of like last man picked this sense of like humility over like girls. Right. And I remember saying like, this is never going to happen again. And that moment forward, I just, Every day after school, I trained like a maniac. I was just like, I'm going to become the biggest, fastest, strongest, most athletic person I can be to prove these kids wrong or whatever, my manhood or my whatever, like ability or something. And I just wanted to be, you know, accepted. And now you're playing a form of dodgeball at the highest level. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the two guys that did not select you are probably, (laughs) they're not on the team. I think they're still living in Delaware, Ohio. I'm not sure what they're doing, but I've actually forgiven them and I've like chatted with them a couple of times years ago because I was just like, this doesn't serve me to like hold on this grudge anymore. But you know, that was something that drove me for many years was like, I'm going to prove all these kids wrong, whoever doubted me. You've done a lot of introspection and we're, we're really getting into the territory of your next book, I think. Yeah, this is exactly. Coming. Let's start with greatness. My view is that beliefs lead to behaviors, and then the behaviors lead to the results. So a lot of our beliefs are what I would call mindset. What's the mindset that's necessary for greatness? What do you put in that category? I think the mindset is I'm worthy and I matter. I think it's one of the the first things we have to master. There's an art and a dance to understanding that. There's a, a confidence to understanding that I matter and that I'm worthy of getting what I want, but there's also humility and a grace to receiving it and going after it in such a way that it isn't egotistical or isn't cocky or isn't overbearing. But there's so many people that I encounter who don't think they matter, who don't think they're worthy. And therefore they make decisions to back up that belief that they don't matter and that they're not worthy. And then they go on a downward cycle constantly and never able to even get started towards the path of their dreams. So I think that's one of the first things. I think another one is service. We're here to give, not to just receive, but so many people make it about them. They make it about what they want only and what's deserving of them or what they, you know, they're entitled to or something. And I think when we shift the mindset to how can I serve it's actually the greatest gift we can receive when we give. Whenever I'm down and I just go give to someone else, I feel like the most rewarded ever. I feel the most fulfilled. So it's actually the most selfless but selfish thing we can do is to give and live in service. So I think those are a couple of things. When we believe we matter and we believe we are worthy of achieving what we want first, and we focus on giving and being in service, we're going to receive everything we want. You literally can't maintain depression or a negative state when you're helping other people. 
Yeah, it's pretty it, hard. It, it's it's impossible. The conflict is too great, and you sort of have yeah. to pick. Are you here to contribute, or or do you really feel like connecting with yourself at that level that you know you're going to go ahead and tell yourself the the negative stuff? Yeah, I think right, that's exactly. Right. It, it is the, the worthiness thing's an interesting thing. I had a, an interaction with a young girl, and she is a young girl in San Francisco this week. And she said, you know, I want to meet more people here at this event, but I'm awkward. And it was just an interesting mm-hmm. frame that she picked because she's not awkward. She's, she's right. anything but That's awkward. what she believes. She, she says that to herself. And I said, you know, yeah. what if you're just curious? And she said, well, if I was curious, I'd be asking people questions. I said, well, why don't you try to see if curious fits better than awkward? <laughs> and she said, curious exactly. fits way better than awkward. I'm like, <laughs> you have to decide. Then she decided to be curious, which is good. Curious works. Yeah, exactly. Especially at an event where you're going to meet people. Yeah. I would say another belief we need to have in order to achieve greatness would be gratitude. And this is something so simple. Even Tony was talking about this the other day that, you know, it's hard to be angry and grateful at the same time. And he mentioned that the antidote of anger is gratitude and being grateful. So if you're frustrated and angry, resentful, lean into being grateful about all the things in your life in that moment. And it's hard to hold on to that resistance or anger. So I think when you think about the people you want to spend time with, do you want to hang out with people who are ungrateful often or often complaining or frustrated? It's an energy suck when we're around people like that. But when we're around people that are just so grateful for even the littlest things, it's just like, man, I want to be around that energy. So be grateful. That's sort of the abundance mindset too. The people who are ungrateful see things as scarcity and people who are grateful seem to perceive abundance. Let's talk about a different area in the book that I think I want to point people to this area in the book for an important reason. It's because I think it's Mm -hmm. neglected. People who talk about success in business and entrepreneurship often leave out your personal health. And in my Mm -hmm. experience, the results that you produce have a lot to do with the energy that you have to produce those results. So if you say, I want greater results, what you're really saying in part is I need greater energy to do these things. So when you think about specifically business people, success-minded people, business people, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, when it comes to their physical health, what are the two or three things that you would recommend? And and you're a professional level athlete, so you have a lot of insight into physical health and what it takes to maintain that. What are the two or three though game changers that you say if you do these things, you will get mm. you know a 10x result right now with a lot less effort or energy than you think yeah. it would take you? I mean, moving for an hour a day. I mean, as simple as that, just moving your body, walking. It could be any type of movement, walking, running, jogging, hiking, stretching. Any type of movement is going to move your mind. So move your body. Your mind will start to move. will start to think. It'll start to break down problems better, faster. You'll move into action with your ideas better. If you have a stagnant body, you have a stagnant mind. I think in the beginning of that chapter of the book, Thomas Jefferson, there's a quote that says, if the body be feeble, the mind will not be strong. So if you're overweight, if you're never moving, if your body is weak in its health, then it's hard to be a critical thinker, to be a passionate thinker, to have energy, to enroll and inspire others in your dreams. Your body doesn't lie. It is the truest form of knowing does the person, if you see someone who's fit, who walks into a door, you can, it says a lot about the person right away. It says that they're hardworking. It says that they're disciplined. It says that they believe in health. It says they take care of themselves. It says they um, probably don't take shortcuts. Now, maybe in other areas of their life, they're an asshole. They're not investing in relationships. I'm not saying they're perfect, 
but it says they have those qualities. They have those distinctions to generate those physical results because results don't lie. It's interesting. I think Richard Branson said at one point, like, what's the key to your financial success or some question like that? Like, what's the key to being a billionaire and, and building these businesses? He said fitness or physical health, something along those lines of that answer. And I think that's so true. It's if we do everything else right, but we neglect our body and our health, things just start to go downhill. And I remember I did this after when I was getting started in my business life, you know, eight years ago, I was so focused on working all day long and I neglected sleep. I ate, you know, donuts and candy bars and milkshakes every day and pizza. And I remember I gained like 30, 40 pounds and was overweight and was lethargic and uninspired. And I remember just feeling like so... I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the energy. And it showed in my business decisions. It showed in in everything that I was doing and my conversations in business and and what I was creating. And I remember realizing I need to make a shift. And so I put health as a priority, lost 30 pounds in a month. And I felt great. I felt incredible. I had more energy. There's a great book called The Power of Full Engagement, I believe it's called. Sure. Jim Lair. Tony Schwartz. Is that the other guy? Yeah. Jim Lair and Tony Schwartz. I remember reading that. It was just like, you know, it's all about energy. And if we don't have the energy to create, it's going to be hard to be sustainable throughout time. And the bigger the dream, the more energy we need. So the more importance of our health is with the bigger the dream. Where would you put sleep on that? I think it's extremely important. You know, a third of our life is sleeping. So if we don't sleep the right way, the way that works to optimize our bodies, that means the environment, the bed, the sheets, the pillows. You know, I've studied sleep from sleep experts on the podcast and everything from the sounds that you have in your room to the blackout shades to the plants that are in your room to oxygenate your body more. I think if there's a way to master it, then we should maximize and become masters of sleep. More sleep doesn't matter sometimes. It's about the right number of sleep that works for your body so that you have energy, full energy throughout the day. But if you're tired every day or you need coffee to have energy throughout the day and you can't live without it, then you're not sleeping right. You're not doing something right in your sleep and your workout habits. So we should not need coffee as a requirement to have energy. I try to run on just veggies and green juice and protein and supplements. You know, So for me, that's what I try to, to live on. And if I'm tired throughout the day, I know that I'm not sleeping right. So I just try to adjust something a little bit. I just remember the young Lewis House sharing a hotel room with me in uh, Chicago, <laughs> working until midnight and then going out salsa dancing when I was coming right? to go to sleep. And I was like, where is that Sobcon? <laughs> yeah. I was, where's oh this gosh. cat going? And you're right? like, salsa, baby. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Yeah. I mean, early 20s, I, was, I didn't care about sleep. It was like, stay up till three, four o'clock, live life and then sleep in and then do it all over again. And that would, that didn't work. You know, it works for a few years until it catches up to you. I was going to say, it looked like it was working for you when I saw you do it. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. For a few years you could do that, but then your body, you know, my girlfriend, she's 28 now and she just is like work machine. You know, she's a doctor of physical therapy and she gets up like 5am and goes to work and then stays up late. And I don't know how she does it, but I'm starting to see like it catching up to her and she's yeah. needing more sleep. And I'm like, yeah, it's because you're young and you're you know healthy, but it's got to catch up to you. You know, you're going to get sick a few times here and there and your body's going to tell you, hey, you need to sleep. You need the maintenance. This is sort of a lightning round of questions. What are you reading right now? Sure. Well, this new book I just got called The Mastery of Self by Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. is pretty good. And it's actually a lot of similar stuff that I talk about in my book. So it's nice to just hear it from a different perspective. But I like The Mastery of Self. I think 
any type of book that is going to teach us about how to become better in our own life, I'm all for it because there's always a new way we can master ourselves. Every day, month, year, there's a new season of our life that we get to learn about. And it's a good reminder. His dad wrote The Four Agreements, which will show up in the show notes here. Mandatory reading. Yes. What's the most important book you've ever read and why? The Alchemist. I read it. I would say The Alchemist and The 4-Hour Workweek, but I'll start with The Alchemist because I read it when I was just after I got injured playing football, just after living my dream and my dream being crushed. I read this book and my girlfriend at the time gave it to me and she had told me how amazing it was. And I wasn't a big reader. You know, probably at that time I'd read, I don't know, 10 books cover to cover or whatever. And I read the book and I remember just like, it was just like speaking to me. And I think every 20 million people who have read that book feel the same way. It was like speaking exactly to me the right time. The lesson that I learned was just like, oh man, this is so powerful. You know, it was about, for those who haven't read it, it was for me, the lesson was that everything we need is within us already. We just have to discover it and be aware and open up to it and enjoy the journey, not just reach for the destination always, but enjoy the moment, enjoy the journey, no matter where, how dark it is, how challenging it is, learn the lessons in the journey. And it was great for me. And then also the four hour work week was a, it's a catalyst of potential and opportunity. That was really the catalyst what started me on my journey and the business world. I didn't even know that entrepreneurship was a thing until I read that book. I didn't even know about starting a business online or any of those things were even possible because I was so focused and fixated on being a, an athlete that thinking after sports wasn't on my mind. So that book came to me when I was in my cast as well. My brother gave it to me. It was my only present that I got that Christmas because we did a secret Santa thing. So I got one gift and that was it. It wasn't even wrapped. He just handed it to me. And I read it in three days and was just, man, what a catalyst for me to take action and start discovering this new journey. It's why I ask about books. I mean, the power of a book. So you got a 22 to $25 book yeah, and your life is transformed in part. I mean, that wasn't yeah. only the book. It was a whole bunch of factors, but it's one of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a factor for sure. Who's had the biggest influence on your thinking? Hmm. In my whole life or? Yeah. Your whole life. I mean, I have to say my dad, my whole life. Just because from an early age, he raised me in a religion called Christian science that is a very spiritual practice that believes in, and essentially it doesn't believe that we can be physically harmed. It doesn't believe that our body is actually real and that our physical pain is real, that it's just an illusion, that's an idea. And so in a lot of ways, that belief, that mindset allowed me to heal very quickly when I would get injured or when I would go through physical or emotional pain, I was able to go to this place kind of mentally, spiritually, where I was able to rise above it. This is the idea that you are a soul and you have a body. You're not a body and you have a soul, right? Yes. And you know, I was the only kid in my class that didn't get shots as a kid, didn't have to get shots at the hospital. I had a written note, you know, from my dad or the the church or whatever, it was like, you know, he doesn't have to take shots at school or whatever it may be. Like I was able to be exempt from those things because of it. And I remember I questioned a lot of these things. I was always like questioning things, but in a lot of ways, my dad just ingrained, like you are a spiritual being and you're a perfect idea from God. And therefore there can be no harm in God's perfect ideas, you know, type of like mentality that I just grew up thinking about. And I remember also like my dad never wore a watch. He never wore watched. He was always on time because he was a businessman and he had lots of meetings. He was always on time. 
but he never wore a watch and focused on time. And I remember asking him, you know, why? And he also never celebrated my birthday. There were some things he really did that was like completely different from everyone else I knew. We never celebrated my birthday or any of my siblings' birthdays. I'd go to everyone else's birthday party, but I wouldn't have my own. And I remember kind of being upset about it and asked my dad one day, like, why don't we celebrate my birthday? And he said, you know, I want to celebrate you every day, but to put emphasis on your age, I don't want you to fixate on your age because age is going to hold you back if you put that much emphasis on it. So many people talk about how old they are and they're either too young to do what they want or they're too old to do what they want. And they're always waiting till an age is the right age for them to create what they want in their lives. So I'd never want you to fixate on your age as a metric that's going to hold you back in any way. And so in a lot of ways, I was just like, wow, this is like a profound idea that you know I didn't understand early on. But really, without that kind of ingrained in me, ingrained in my psyche and my belief system early on, I don't think at 24 with a cast on and no college degree, no experience, no speaking skills, no writing skills, that I would have been able to just be like, I'm going to just tackle this challenge and go to Toastmasters and write a book and start a business. Like I don't think I would have had the confidence that I could have. But my dad just ingrained in me that it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, you can always achieve what you want. So for me, that was powerful. Great mindset. Yeah. If you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what job would you want to do? That's interesting. I never actually thought about it, but I really like doing deals. So maybe I'd be like a sports agent or like a broadcaster. It'd still be sports. Yeah, maybe it'd be sports. I think I'd be doing deals because I love relationships and I love putting together deals and helping other people. And I, I like to I, I like to package things. So I feel like I package things well and I can position things well. So maybe that's kind of the first thing that came to my mind. But it's not the first thing that came to my mind for you. How would it feel? Like if I had to, like if I had to pick a job or something, then I don't know what another job would be. But I can just see Brady with a pass to the end zone and you catching it. What about that? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if I'm playing in the NFL would be the ultimate. You yeah. Know, that would have been, that would have been, or been playing in the Olympics would have been the other thing. Next time. Yeah. Next time. Next life. <laughs> next time. Yeah. Last question. You're a young guy to ask this question too, but from where you are right now, what do you hope people remember you for? I hope they remember how big my heart was and that I created possibility in everyone else, wherever I went and wherever, whatever I did. I hope they remember that I was a symbol for inspiration and possibility. And I think that's what I want to do the rest of my life is continue to pursue my dream and show myself that, hey, it is possible. Anything I want is possible. If I work my butt off consistently over a period of time, I can make it happen with the support of a team and lifting others up around me. I just want to continue to be that example to show up and create and connect and also do it in a way that's so loving and giving that people are just like, wow, this is like how I want to show up. Or now I see someone to show me what's possible in my life. So that's what I hope. Beautiful. Let's give people a chance to do that. So now let's pitch people. Okay. Uh, let's send them to the School of Greatness. You're going to do an event here in Columbus, Ohio. Tell me about right. the event and yeah. what's going to happen that event and how people find out more. You know, I spoke at an event last year called the World Domination Summit by Chris sure. Gillespie in Portland. And I remember just being so inspired by the community that was connecting in person. And I think for three and a half years now, I've hosted this podcast where there's people all over the world listening, but they're starving to connect with each other in real life. And with so much of us on our phones and on social media and disconnected, 
I said after this conference I went to, I was like, I want to create something like this for the School of Greatness audience and really bring my community together at least once a year and celebrate, celebrate by giving them more tools, more inspiration and introducing them to great speakers who can lift them up and get them into action and get them out of their head and into their heart and get them moving forward towards their dreams. So it's a three-day experience, Columbus, Ohio. It's called the Summit of Greatness. And you can go check it out at summitofgreatness.com. And we're doing a $100 off coupon code for anyone who listens here with Anthony. And the code is BEGREAT. And you get $100 off. And every morning, there's going to be We're either going to have four or five different world-class instructors to teach or lead a workout. We're going to have a top yoga instructor, top workout people in CrossFit, world champion CrossFitter. We've got former NFL players leading workshops. We've got Olympians who are going to be doing 5K runs every morning, leading the runs. We've got people who are going to be coaching you on all areas of your life health, fitness, business, spirituality, relationships throughout the entire weekend. And every night there'll be a celebration, a party, an event to bring us together. So that's what it's going to be. That's awesome, brother. I'm going to be there. I can't wait to see. It's going to be awesome. But thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your story, number one. Appreciate your friendship. We've known each other a long time. I'd love to see your success. I mean, we had a Toastmasters club that was sort of a very, very high level club, but you're killing it. And thank you. Great to have a chance to catch up, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. That was my good friend, Lewis House, and you can find him at lewishouse.com. But I want to send you to summitofgreatness.com where you can sign up for the Summit of Greatness. And when you register, use the code BEGREAT to receive a $100 discount. That code is BEGREAT at summitofgreatness.com. That's where you want to go. I'm Anthony Anarino, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. And in the show notes, you're going to find a couple links. One goes to themodelsalesweek.com, where you can get a nine-part video series when you join my newsletter. Another goes to howtoplanasalescall.com, where you can get a four-part series on how to plan a sales call. You're also going to find a link to pre-order my new book, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, being released by Portfolio on October 11th, 2016. You can find that book at preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. I'm Anthony Anarino, and I will see you next time in the arena. My new book, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, will be released by Portfolio on October 11th, 2016, and it will be available at bookstores everywhere. But I don't want you to go to the bookstores or Amazon.com and order that book quite yet. What I want to recommend you do is go to preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. And this is a pre-order site that's going to allow you to collect bonuses for having ordered the book early and ordering it through this site. Even if you only buy one book, there is a bonus bonus package available for you. In this case, it is a workbook that allows you to apply the core lessons of the 17 core chapters to your own work. So maybe you need to work on self-discipline, or maybe you need to work on resourcefulness, or maybe you need to work on prospecting. You can go through the workbook exercises and immediately improve the results that you're producing in those areas. But there's more. If you are a sales leader and you want to provide this book to your team, which I recommend, you can get additional bonuses. For an order of 10 books, you can get 17 training videos that allow you to use those videos for team meetings 
and align your team around whatever initiatives you want. Maybe it's closing right now, or maybe it's business acumen. Whatever the chapter is that relates to a gap that your team needs to close, you're going to find some resources there in the workbook and in the videos that allow you to notch your team up. And then if you want to get insane, there are massive bulk buys available to you. If you buy a thousand books, I'm going to do a keynote for you. And for some lucky buyer who orders that many books, you're going to get a keynote from me that I will also include Jeb Blunt, Mark Hunter, and Mike Weinberg as speakers at your sales kickoff event. So go to preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. That is preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. Pick up a copy of the book now. It will be delivered to you in the middle of October and pick up the bonuses. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.